The thing that really fascinates me is actually the use of color. This is something really important in the exhibit because it actually is where the term yellow journalism actually comes from. Imagine like seeing the newspaper in black and white and then all of a sudden now you're seeing yellow, red, blue, right? I mean, talk about something that's just completely different. Welcome to season two of the Arts Access Florida podcast. I'm your host, Malika Hollist. Each episode, we amplify the voices of the diverse art nonprofit organizations in our community. Conversations, community, and connection is right here on the Arts Access Florida podcast. Support for Arts Access Florida comes from Community Foundation Tampa Bay, championing philanthropy, encouraging and connecting givers to bring lasting good, investing in education and economic mobility. Learn more at cftampabay.org. That's cftampabay.org. Today, we speak with Dr. Charles McGraw-Grow on the current exhibit, Stop the Presses, Fake News and the War of 1898 at the Henry B. Plant Museum. In this episode, you will get a brief history on the War of 1898, its influence on Tampa Bay history, a definition of yellow journalism, and what was fake news at this time. We hope you love this next episode. Would you mind just introducing yourself to our audience? Sure. My name is Charles McGraw-Grow, and I'm an associate professor at the University of Tampa. And I'm also the guest curator of the exhibit that's currently on display at the Henry B. Plant Museum. So what does it mean to be a curator? (laughs) (laughs) That's a great question. Uh, So essentially what it means in the context of public history is uh, telling a story about the past through objects. Uh, So as opposed to the way that we traditionally tell history stories, which is in writing. Ah, okay. Ooh, I like that definition. Okay. That makes a lot of sense to me. Okay. So the Henry B. Plant Museum consistently creates unique exhibits. Can you tell us about the most recent one, the Stop the Presses, Fake News, and the War of 1898? Sure. Uh, Stop the Presses is um, an exploration of how uh, new communication technology gave rise to a style of journalism in the years right before the War of 1898. Uh, So then we talk about how uh, journalism played a role in U.S. uh, intervention in Cuba, the war against Spain in 1898, and its aftermath. Um, And we particularly pay attention to some of the myths that have been passed down about the role of the press in that conflict. Okay. And then for those who aren't familiar, myself included, um, can you give just a brief um, maybe overview of what was the War of 1898? Yeah, I'd be happy to. And it's such an important conflict uh, for people in Tampa to know about because uh, it's such a big part of our history. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the center, of course, is not about us. Um, uh, To understand the conflict in 1898, you have to go back just a couple of years before. In 1895, 
Cubans launched the Third War for Independence, uh, basically an attempt to achieve independence from Spain as a colonial power. And this is something that they'd been pursuing on and off for about 30 years. Um, in 1895, of course, there was a large Cuban community in Tampa. So they were directly involved in revolutionary activity. Uh, the next year, 1896, Filipinos also launched um, a war for independence on the other side of the globe against Spain. And so Spain was involved in a two-front war. Uh, yeah. This is the conflict that the United States intervened in in 1898. They declared war against Spain, but the settlement was a real game changer for the United States because it became an imperial power. The United States claimed the Philippines, Puerto Rico, Guam as colonies in the settlement. Mm -hmm. They took the opportunity of this moment to formally annex Hawaii, and they placed severe limitations on Cuban independence, um, which would essentially kind of set in motion the, the, the kind of troubled relations between the United States and Cuba for the next century. Um, and it also involved the United States in another war because the Filipinos who had been attempting to gain independence from Spain uh, now launched a war of independence, which they lost um, against the United States. Very interesting. So how did the press play a role in, the, in this war? What was the press even at this time? Okay, so when we talk about the press, um, what we have to recognize is that there are multiple uh, forms of press that we can actually talk about. Mm -hmm. And so um, we actually engage uh, several different kinds of reporting. So um, the bulk of the exhibit is, of course, the reporting that is associated with yellow journalism. So a kind of sensationalistic style of reporting that came into existence just before the war. Um, we also try and remind uh, our audience that that's actually not the mainstream press. Um, okay. Most newspapers continued in similar fashion to report in a much more restrained manner that we associate with the fourth estate. Um, there are biases, though, and so we also draw comparison to other really important developments in journalism, like the expansion of the Black press in this period that provided an alternative viewpoint. Um, to kind of course correct some of the things that were appearing in the main press. So that's the range. But as I said, you know, the bulk of the exhibit is concerned with yellow journalism. Um, and whether or not that, that style of journalism played a central role in encouraging the intervention, mm -hmm. um, and then also perhaps, you know, kind of shaping people's understanding of the outcome. Okay, so to take it back, I have a couple questions. So you described yellow journalism as sensational journalism. What would you compare that to now? Is that kind of like there's the news and then there's like, you know, kind of like the tabloid kind of journalism that's like more entertainment focused? Is that kind of the difference? That's a great comparison. So when you look at the rise of yellow journalism, and we can talk about some of the technology that underwrites this development, but what it means is that there were certain papers, and we primarily talk about Hearst and Pulitzer, um, so the uh, New York Journal and the New York World, mm -hmm. that 
basically switched the focus uh, in terms of audience to a more popular audience. So they were trying to sell a lot more papers by targeting working class people in New York, immigrant communities in New York. And so they switched the style of journalism to be, first of all, very visually they had these large, you know, kind of headlines that were called scareheads that were designed to titillate. Okay. Um, they tended to include a lot of graphic images. They uh, also tended to, before the war, focus in on, you know, vice and crime. Um, so when I say sensationalism, the actual topic of that was being explored was, was sensationalistic. Okay. And they also introduced um, celebrity correspondence. So you followed the story just because the person who was reporting it was famous. Right. And so I think you could probably see a lot of connections to what you just referred to as, you know, kind of tabloid journalism. You know, do you look at, you know, clickbait on your phone? Do you look at the headlines in um, the grocery store checkout? Okay, I like that. That makes a lot of sense. You mentioned Joseph Pulitzer. Can you explain why he's important to the story? Joseph Pulitzer was the uh, owner and editor of the New York World, um, had a pronounced impact on journalism. Uh, and uh, as I said, he really initiates this story for us because he's really the person who is pushing the technological revolution um, that results in yellow journalism. And, you know, this particular story, um, I, I think obviously doesn't, you know, um, um, you know, serve his image well, because, you know, we're dealing with, again, this very exaggerated style of reporting that has an impact on the events of 1898. But I do think it's important to recognize that so many of his innovations are still so central to how we engage news and the construction of newspapers. Uh, so he's made a really lasting impact um, um, on our culture. And then you also mentioned um, the black press. What was the difference between the role of white press and black press? This is such an important question, and I'm so glad it's something that we're able to feature in the exhibit. Uh, so the dominant press, the mainstream press, um, either ignored the lives of African-Americans altogether um, mm -hmm. or simply reported on stories that were you know, rather negative. Um, uh, stories about urban problems. And so the Black press played a vital role, uh, actually continues to play a vital role in our society because it is where Black people could look to to find themselves represented. Mm -hmm. And it can be everything from, you know, like society columns to like, you know, local events or, you know, things of just, you know, regular importance that, again, uh, um, white audiences would expect to see in different portions of the newspaper. And then, of course, this became vital in terms of the reporting in 1898 because of the large amount of African-American soldiers that were in the conflict. And this is true in the intervention in Cuba. And then this is true for the U.S. military occupations of Cuba and the Philippines. So uh, these troops that were um, uh, longstanding in the context of their service uh, were disparaged uh, in the mainstream press. And so uh, the editors of Black newspapers uh, did a lot of due diligence in 1898 and the years uh, immediately after to solicit 
uh, letters from people who served uh, to correct the record. While you're enjoying this episode of Arts Access Florida, we want to tell you about another podcast we think you'll like. The Zest is WUSF's podcast about food in Florida. We explore food history, chat with award-winning chefs, and more. Listen at thezestpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. So... I guess I'm wondering, do you feel that the role of the press during this time positively or negatively reported the War of 1898? I guess I'm I'm curious what what was being reported and was it accurate? That's such a wonderful question. So so I would say it is both. Mm. And I think one of the things that is so wonderful um, about the American historical experience is that the press has never just been one thing, you know? Um, and as we think about, you know, kind of current global events, I mean, the, the importance of a free press where there's a range of views is really critical. Um, and I think one of the lessons that comes out of this exhibit is that you really do need to have multiple sources of information. Um, so uh, certainly we follow some of the really exaggerated stories, um, stories that exaggerated Spanish atrocities, um, stories that blamed uh, the Spanish for the destruction of the USS Maine before there was any kind of investigation. Um, and so we try and expose, you know, some of those, you know, again, obvious attempts to exaggerate or distort the news. Um, we also focus on things that are more subtle. Uh, the fact that that trend of celebrity reporting continued mm -hmm. into the war um, really means that a lot of what was reported wasn't actually the center of what was happening. Um, it was wherever that particular journalist was, right? Which yeah, I think is a much more subtle way in which information is not really being presented in a way that allows you to understand the big picture. Right. Um, but one of the things that I do think is really important is that um, when you look particularly at, you know, this huge issue of the United States becoming an empire, a place that has overseas possessions. That was really unsettling to a lot of Americans. And I think you see, and you see very much on display in the exhibit, uh, a range of views um, that are appearing in the press. So whatever decision actually happened, it's not because people didn't have information. Um, right. So I think it's important that we recognize that the type of news that people were getting could be dependent on what resource they were using and that and depending on that resource that information could be positive negative true untrue very typical to kind of the news now you, you it, it's really dependent on where you're getting it and how the story is told basically yeah, I'll give you a really good example of that. So, you know, probably one of the most famous incidents that we discuss in the exhibit um, is the destruction of the USS Maine. Um, so the U.S. vessel was anchored in uh, Havana Harbor um, uh, and it exploded, uh, ultimately killing uh, 266 servicemen. So just a horrendous tragedy. Um, so most newspapers in the United States withheld saying anything about cause 
uh, waiting for a formal uh, Naval Court of Inquiry. Uh, of course, Hearst and Pulitzer, so this is yellow journalism, immediately blamed Spain and wrote stories where they said they knew it was a torpedo. Uh, and so this information, of course, was not correct. Um, uh, but I think the important thing to understand is by this point in time, a lot of people were really you know, aware of the false reporting in these two newspapers. So a lot of people took it with a grain of salt. Um, it's also clear that they didn't have a large readership outside of New York, so it really doesn't make sense to blame them for the kind of popular support for the war that took place after the explosion. But what I will say is that if you were already somebody who did support war, mm. then these papers reflected your point of view, right? And I think that's still something that we should be thinking about when we think about the news is that, you know, people seem to be drawn to things that say what they already think. Right. And so the goal has to be to look for alternative sources of information. And so what we're saying is that in the context of the time, it was definitely easy to access alternative sources of information. Is there specific technology that you could speak about that was used in journalism during this time? Sure, and and I really like to think about this because, again, I think you know, for me, um, I think a lot about how technology, uh, communications technology, is affecting the way that I receive information mm -hmm. now. And so, you know, I like to think back on the fact that, hey, you know, this earlier generation was going through the same thing. So there were several things that took place at the same time. Um, Pulitzer himself. Uh, Joseph Pulitzer played a huge role in actually encouraging the manufacture of much larger, much faster printing presses. Okay. And then combined with the innovation of the linotype, which was used to set type, and then also the development of new uh, paper technology, essentially switching from rag paper to um, wood pulp based paper. Uh, all of these things really allowed for a different style of journalism because these papers could have um, uh, much bigger editions. Mm. They could do them multiple times a day, right? So the whole idea that you would have an early edition and a late edition, which is where Stop the Presses comes from, right? Yeah. Something is kind of done right away. Um, but also, again, the fact that you can use these big scare heads, that you can use lots of illustrations and even photographs, um, color, right? Like all of those things change the way that people uh, uh, saw the newspaper, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's what facilitated because not only, you know, could, could you do all these things, but you could do it cheaply, right? So you could sell yeah. the paper for just a penny or two, which meant, again, you weren't necessarily targeting, you weren't targeting an elite audience. You were targeting a more general audience with different kinds of stories. Oh, what, a, what an exciting time that must have been for them. Mm. You know, like I'm just imagining, it's kind of like, the cell phone coming out like that was exciting <laughs> like technology's right in your hand so i imagine it's very similar like and then for it to be able to come out multiple times in one day potentially like you're just constantly being fed news exactly you know and the, the thing that the thing that really um um fascinates me i i, I think is is actually the use of color um yeah. and 
this is something really important in the exhibit because um, um, it actually is where the term yellow journalism actually comes from. Um, but it's the appearance of, kind of color comic supplements in the paper. And so imagine like seeing the newspaper in black and white and then all of a sudden now you're seeing yellow, red, blue, right? I mean, talk yeah. about something that's just completely different. What we're presenting people in Tampa is something um, really unique uh, and very rare. Uh, so uh, I really hope as many people as possible can see it. So I was mentioning the color comics. And uh, one of the things that we are able to focus on in the exhibit because of this really fabulous material that we have on loan um, is uh, a comic character called Yellow Kid. And he appeared in the New York World, which was the Pulitzer paper uh, in uh, 1894, 1895. And he became the first nationally famous comic character. Uh, the creator, Richard Alcall, went on to uh, create Buster Brown, who I, I think a lot of my contemporaries are a little bit more familiar with. But um, he was this Irish American street kid in a New York tenement whose head was shaved because he had lice uh, and he wore this oversized uh, yellow nightgown. And his image was used to market all kinds of products. So he was the first, you know, kind of merchandised yeah, uh, like comic character. <laughs> yeah. And so you know, he appeared on everything from like, you know, toys to whiskey bottles, to ladies fans, to cigarette cases, you name it, he sold it. Um, and we have some really extraordinary material. We have um, actually um, original uh, kind of comic, you know, kind of paper uh, from the 1890s. We also have a lot of these original materials. So um, it's coming to, it's pulling together material from a private collection, um, uh, an art uh, um, repository. So again, really rare that people can actually see this kind of material. And um, this character actually was fought over by the two papers that I've been talking about. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the term yellow journalism comes from because um, uh, Ye yellow kid became synonymous with the style of the papers. And so they went uh. from calling it the yellow kid press to the yellow press, the yellow journalism. I see, um, I see. So, so that's, I think, something that just people need to see. Um, and then the other thing that I, that I would kind of direct your attention to is um, I've mentioned the fact that uh, the people who were correspondents in the war were celebrities. Mm -hmm. um, and so the most important of those are Richard Harding Davis, uh, famous author, Stephen Crane, famous author, um, but also Frederick Remington, who uh, is such a prominent artist of this period. And he was sent to Cuba uh, by Hearst to cover the Cuban War prior to the intervention. Um, and then he later uh, uh, traveled first here to the Tampa Bay Hotel and then to Cuba um, once the US war was declared. And um, we have an extraordinary range of materials on display, uh, original Remingtons that are, I think, essential for people to see because what we've been able to do um, uh, and I, I just, again, I'm just so excited about this, is we've been able to bring in some of the hand sketches that he did on the spot, um, which are coming from the Frederick Remington Museum in New York. But then we allow you to compare them 
side by side to the original pieces, which we've brought in from different collections. So you can actually follow the process of how this work came into existence. Um, and as I said, that's not something that you can ever see because yeah. these materials are housed in different repositories. Ooh, and now they're here in, in Tampa exactly. Bay. Yeah. Exactly. All right, so everyone, you can see the Stop the Presses exhibit at the Henry B. Plant Museum. And how long is the exhibit open for? The exhibit is actually running through the year, so it will oh, be there wow. through December. Awesome. Okay, so much time. You can come multiple times, everyone. That's basically what he's told you. You can come and, see it multiple times. And we and we actually have um, uh, a lot um, of special programs um, that are being presented in conjunction with our partner, the Pointer Institute. So okay. um, if you go to the Henry B. Plant Museum website, um, you can get more information. But uh, there's going to be, if you're interested in um, comic art, there's going to be uh, uh, somebody coming down to talk about the impact of Yellow Kid on modern comics. Mm. Um, if you're interested in Remington, we have the curator from the Remington Museum coming from New York. So just an incredible range of programs. So yes, we encourage people to come back multiple times and be part of this conversation. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on and thank you guys all for listening. Wow, that was enlightening. How lucky are we that this exhibit has found its way to the Tampa community? To see everything yourself, check out the exhibit at the Henry B. Plant Museum on the University of Tampa campus, open now until the end of the year. Thank you to Dr. Grow again, and we will see you in the next episode. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the Arts Access Florida podcast. You can find more information on today's guests in the show notes. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram by searching Arts Access Florida or go to our website, artsaccessflorida.org, to get access to the arts. That's arts, A-X-I-S-F-L dot org. Our show is a product of WUSF Public Media and made possible by our sponsors, Community Foundation Tampa Bay and Gobioff Foundation. A special thanks to our editor, Scott Walkler, and many more who make this show possible. Copyright 2022, WUSF Public Media.